Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Some of you are not uh, normally here with us, and so let me introduce you to a tradition of our church, which is that we always have a sermon on Mother's Day that is pertinent to our mothers. And so that means that usually I preach about how they should submit to their husbands. That's a joke. Not usually. But uh, we do care very much about motherhood, and it's central to the attack in Western culture on God's plan for sexuality, for manhood and womanhood. And thinking about what to preach on this morning, I thought, I need to preach on pornography. Because I don't think that there are many things that are more destructive to the well-being of mothers than knowing that they have a predator in their home who is partaking of strange flesh through his computer or through his television. And so if we assume that the mothers of our church love their children, what better way to honor them today than to exhort all of us to be pure sexually? All right? So stand and let me read our scripture text this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. And earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has said to the people that are seeking God that their righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of their pastors and their elders and the older women of their church. In other words, he says the scribes and the Pharisees, but those were the spiritual officers at the time. Now, why did the people who were seeking God need to have a, a better righteousness and the righteousness of their spiritual leaders? Well, it was because we know that Jesus talked to the spiritual leaders and said that they were what? Whitewashed sepulchers. And so the place that held the decomposing bodies of the dead were the sepulchers. They were the graves. And he said, you, you are holding dead men's bones, and yet you've what? whitewashed yourself. And so this was what was true of the spiritual leaders at the time, that they presented publicly a very clean, smooth, presentable. You know, you'd look at them and you'd say, well, there's nothing wrong with him. I wish I was as clean as he is, you know. But Jesus said, no, they had hearts of adultery. And so Jesus then, a little earlier in this sermon, he said what? He said, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he begins to show the difference between a superficial whitewashing that communicates holiness and a heartwashing that is truly holy. And so he talks about murder. And he says, you know, if you say, if you say to somebody, Raha, you've committed a murder in your heart. Then he comes to the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, and he shows the difference between those who have pharisaical holiness, superficial holiness, those who have the holiness of whitewashing, and those who have the holiness of God. And the difference is that the man who's a Pharisee says, I can look, but I can't touch. The man that's a Pharisee doesn't actually have the manliness to sin boldly, but he hides his sin. And the computer and the internet have been made for pharisaical righteousness. So that in the church today, all through it, we have men who are looking at internet pornography, constantly consuming strange flesh, 
and yet come to church, take communion, talk about God, claim to have the ability to discriminate between this bad doctrine and that bad doctrine, and they have no holiness. As a matter of fact, they're wholly given over to strange flesh. They live a life of a violation of the seventh commandment. And that's why Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, a scribe and a Pharisee is focused on the outward but not the inward. But we remember what God said to Samuel when he was going to anoint the next king of Israel. That God said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For what? God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesus says, the man who looks at a woman with lust in his eye has already committed adultery with her. So today is Mother's Day. The dearest of the dear are our wives who have lived with us and stood by us through many difficult times. Each month and year that goes by, we love them more and more. We don't know what we would do without them because we have become such a part of them and they of us that to separate seems an impossibility. And then, if that bond of love were not strong enough in and of itself, They then become the mothers of our children, and we share our children with them. What joy to see the beautiful character and personality of our beloved wife living on in our sons and our daughters. You know, I don't know how many of you as dads feel the way I do, but you look at your wife and your children, and you just think, I wish there was more of her and less of me. All the cards and roses and candy and poems and songs or movies expressing the love of a man for his wife cannot come close to expressing what we really feel for our own wife. Even the mushiest of them utterly fails to get it right. Well, for the thousands of years, the Bible has placed its stamp of approval on our attempts to get it right because the Bible actually at the very center of Scripture, if you open up your Bible at the middle, pretty likely to come pretty close to the book of Song of Solomon. What Song of Solomon? One extended Hallmark greeting card for Mother's Day or for Valentine's or anniversary. Let me read a little bit from the Song of Solomon. Chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. Like a lily among the thorns, so is my darling among the maidens. Like an apple tree among the fruits, the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. In his shade I took great delight and sat down, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. This is scripture. I think it's interesting how all the comparatives are are natural, and also notice that they're completely fertile. So as it's commending the marriage relationship and the, and the, and the relationship between the, the lover and the beloved, it's constantly pointing to things that have to do with fruit, with children, with fecundity, right? And so it's talking about an apple tree among other trees. What's better than an apple tree? Well, what's better is that an apple produces fruit. I mean, you know, you can wax elephant, as Max says it, about the sugar maple in the fall. But in the spring, when those apple trees and peach trees begin to blossom, the cherry trees, and you think, you know, this is like, it's like a beautiful tree, and then like it's beautiful blossoms, and then like it's going to give it beautiful fruit, you know? And this is the way that this lover waxes, you know that the expression is waxes eloquent. But I've changed to Max's way of saying it. He waxes elephant. In other words, he's getting huge in the celebration of his, of his lover. Psalm of Solomon 2.10, my beloved responded and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers have already appeared in the land. The time has arrived for pruning the vines. 
And the voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. Does anybody know how to do a turtle dove? Come on, do it if you know how to do it. Come on. Oh, come on, we have to have somebody. Elizabeth Elliot's dad had a different bird song for every child in the family, right? Doesn't anybody know how to do a turtle dove? Come on. I haven't practiced, but it's something like that. The voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. The fig tree has ripened its figs. And the vines in blossom have given forth their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the steep pathway, let me see your form. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. There's no shame in the woman's form. It's a thing of beauty. The hips allow children to be born. The breasts give the child milk. And this is the reason that a woman's body is erotic to a man, because she represents life and fruitfulness. There's no higher beauty. None. And as she gets older, you may, <laughs> you may take a tender devotion to her stomach with its stretch marks. Because that stomach is where your children came from. And so this lover looks at her, and this is in scripture, looks, looks, looks at his, his woman and he says, her form is lovely. You know, sometimes in our culture, we're so used to using the form of woman to accomplish every form of wickedness that there is, that Christian women will get to the point where, you know, they try to like, you know, wrap their breasts so you can't see them and wear burkas and tents and, you know, and I say to some of them, I don't care what you do, you can't remove it. <laughs> you know, God made you have a certain form, it's beautiful. And yes, you shouldn't go around showing your cleavage and stuff like that. But don't try to be a man. Don't try to be a man. God made you a woman. Be lovely. Ain't she pretty? You remember that Stevie Wonder song? Isn't she Then Psalm and Psalm 4, 9, you have made my heart beat faster. That's what God's word says between lovers. You've made my heart beat faster. My sister, my bride. Isn't that a beautiful statement? My sister, my bride. That she's my sister in Christ and she's my bride. You have made my heart beat faster with a single glance of your eyes. With a single strand of your necklace. <laughs> Do you want me to stop yet? How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils and all kinds of spices. Your lips, my bride, drip honey. Honey and milk are under your tongue, and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. We're in a society where we need to have protections for our sexual purity, and I'm going to recommend one to you that I found helpful, and that is, if you're attracted to another woman, just stop and ask yourself, what does she smell like? And you say, well, that's a strange question. I say, no, because you know what your wife smells like. And you know how you love her smell. And so what? You want to be with another woman without the smell of your wife? If any of you are fathers have young girls, you lean over and, like me, you put your nose in the hair of your, of your little girls and you go, and what? You smell your wife. And this is scripture. This is what scripture talks about. It talks about us marking our love with our smell. Talk to Josiah about it. He understands this, don't you, Josiah? 
Yeah. Josiah, you can, his dad has picked things up in the chairs when he's cleaning up after the service, and he doesn't know who it belongs to. He'll say, Josiah, who, who do you think this belongs to? And Josiah will go, the Burlinghams. <laughs> and he's like his grandfather Bailey, because dad Bailey was the same way with his, his sense of smell. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, the fragrance in your, of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden walked is my sister, my bride. A rock garden walked, a spring sealed up. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, henna with nard plants, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, along with all the finest spices. This is how God made us. There's nothing embarrassing about this. He made us to love the smell of our lover. He made us to delight in their fruitfulness, their breasts, their hips, their oils, everything about them. And then he took it and he made it a garden that was locked. He made it a rock garden that was locked. And so at the end, sometimes we read this in weddings, it says, put me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as severe as Sheol. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, nor will rivers overflow it. If a man were to give all the riches of his house for love, it would be utterly despised. In other words, what? Love is a jealous thing. You think about how often God tells us that he is a jealous God, and we are his bride, the church. And so jealousy is not intrinsically evil. Jealousy is intrinsically good because it's the character of God. And God has intended the relationship of a husband and wife to be a locked garden, to be sealed over our hearts. God intends husbands and wives to be jealous of each other's love. Now let me ask you, do you think the laws of God are given as a form of punishment of us? Do you think of these laws as God's efforts to be a killjoy and to keep us from enjoying life? Is God the divine spoil sport? Well, I hope not. Jesus said what? He said, you shall know the truth and the truth will what? It'll set you free. Jesus also said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it what? More abundantly. More abundantly. And no divine law or principle is a better illustration of the freedom and the joy and the abundant living that come from obedience of God than this command that we be sexually pure. In body and in mind. There is no denying that those who break this commandment destroy their freedom as well as their happiness. And not only their happiness, but also the happiness of all those that they love. Think of adultery and how it destroys us and those that we love. Think of pornography and sexual self-love and how it destroys us and of the people that we love. Think of lesbianism and how it destroys the person and it destroys those they love. Think of incest, how it destroys the person and it destroys those that they love. Think of sodomy, how it destroys the person and those that they love. Think of divorce and think of how it destroys the person, and those they love. Think of child abuse, child sexual abuse, how it destroys the person and those that they love. Why even 
breaking this commandment, men and women destroy their own children, both spiritually and mentally. You know that in Proverbs 6, it has a passage warning against sexual sin, and it does it in the context of adultery. And so it's common in men's groups when we're talking about sexual sin for this passage to be read. But we don't think about this passage concerning the abuse of children in a home. We don't think about it concerning incest. But listen to this. It says, For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life, to keep you from the evil woman. Now, it's not saying women are evil, but it's Proverbs addresses the son, and so in this case, it keeps you from the evil woman. If it was addressing daughters, it would say it keeps you from the evil man, the seducer, right? The Don Juan, right? To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her what? Eyelids. You know, the fluttering eyelids? Oh, yeah. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread and an adulterous hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? And so we think, well, yeah, you know, when I'm out in the street and I see her looking out the window and I'm, I'm just going to keep right walking by... But then you sit there on the couch with your laptop in your computer and you look at every woman, all the strange flesh, and you think, well, I'm safe because there's no woman here. Can you scoop fire into your bosom without getting burned? And so we spend a humongous amount of time in this church, both with people in this church and people in other churches in the country, dealing with the consequences of men and women who give themselves to pornography. And inevitably, the fruit of it is what? The fruit of it is incest and child sexual abuse. Make no mistake about it. Every time we get involved in this, I would say... In the last two days, two separate heavy, heavy instances. And I'm just, every single time I get involved with it now, I always think this is the Supreme Court's First Amendment right. If you were here in Sunday school, David quoted Chesterton talking about how we've thrown out all the big laws and replaced them with an endless variety of little laws. You know, like if your child's between 28 pounds and 36, you have to use a booster seat, and then you have to face backward, you have to have the sensors and the littering, and, and, you know, I'm just amazed we can still burn wood. (laughs) And meanwhile, the, the Supreme Court has said that the vile vile images that fill the internet are First Amendment rights, and then we can't preach against homosexuality because it's a hate crime. And you see all these children, many of them are grown now, many of them are adults with their own children now. And what you know when you work with them and they cry is two things. Number one, this didn't come out of nowhere. Their wounds didn't just arise like, you know, something out of nothing. They came out of parents who themselves were involved in sexual sin and thought they could have their sexual sin without them destroying the lives of their children. You're going to tell me that you're a good father and you look at pornography? You're going to tell me you're a Christian and you feed on strange flesh? No, you are not. You are not. Remember what Jesus said? 
As soon as he got done warning against looking at women with lust in our eyes, what did he say? He said, you're in danger of hellfire. But I'm a Christian. I was baptized. Pastor Bailey dedicated me with my grandparents. It doesn't make any difference. You say, well, well, this is just men. It's not women. And I tell you, 30% of internet pornography used today is women. And that doesn't even take into account the pornography of, of romance novels. And now the Christian publishers are publishing them. They're Amish romance novels. And they serve just as good for you as, as a naked body does for your husband. It's your fantasy. It's the way that you avoid intimacy. You have intimacy fake through stories. And so we're all giving ourselves the very things that our culture wants us to give ourselves to because it, it inures us, it deadens us to the sin. It deadens our conscience. You remember David talking about us being the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we have the Holy Spirit in us and we're looking at strange flesh. What do you think the response of the Holy Spirit is when you're looking at pornography? When you're fantasizing about some man other than your husband when you're lying in bed. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit thinking? What will he do to you? Do you know that the Bible says grieve not the Holy Spirit? Do you think maybe you're grieving the Holy Spirit? When you give yourself to another woman and you're a woman. When you give yourself to another man when you're a man, when you show your flesh at church, you have cleavage and you have a blouse that shows your breasts to the men of the church. What do you think the Holy Spirit is thinking? And then you give yourself to sexual sin and in a few years your children are lesbians. They're bisexual. You have a sodomite for a son. They're fornicating, they're committing adultery, they're committing incest. And you've sown the wind and you're reaping the whirlwind. And you will never be able to bring your innocence back. You can repent, but you have corrupted children. And how do you bring innocence back to children who have been corrupted? How do you do that? You know what happens? You bring them in by the wheelbarrow full, by the triaxle full, and you dump them on your pastors and their wives. You want us to fix it after you've given yourself to, to sexual immorality and the privacy of your home year after year after year after year. You remember what Jesus said. He was warning against us corrupting little ones, placing stumbling blocks. He said, it'd be better for you if a millstone were tied around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than that you corrupt one of these little ones. The case I was working on yesterday, father, you know, big, bumbling, masculine, and he just let his son have at his daughters, all of them. Well, all but one. The whole time they were growing up. And finally, it came out recently, and now the father, what? Now the father is absolutely livid against the elders because they're telling him to go to the civil magistrate and have his son prosecuted. Oh, he's a masculine man. And it's a high-principled family, homeschoolers. And they've had a hard time finding any church that's good enough for them. And now that they have this one, he just keeps saying, listen, I am the head of my home. You're not the head of my home. And it's just absolutely, absolutely devastated his daughters. Now his son is married, lives in another state. Would you want to be his wife? And our society can't bring it within themselves to deal with these things. 
You know, I told my wife a few years ago when Jerry Sandusky came out that this was the last hurrah of any moral righteousness in our nation. Everybody had a fit over Jerry Sandusky precisely because they were tired of acting as if these things were big deals and now this would be the last hurrah and then the band would play on. And nobody would even make a scene about it anymore. And that's exactly where we're headed. The next step is the sexualization of children. The age of consent laws will be lowered, incest will become mainstream, and this is our nation today. And it's already there in Europe. And so, happy Mother's Day. You know, you think about a mother, and my sister, who we, we don't agree on hardly anything. We don't agree on homosexuality, we don't agree on abortion, I could keep going. But this we do agree on. She was a public school teacher in the Chicago public school system for a while, and she said she never ever wants to break up fights between women. Fights between men, those are easy to handle as a teacher, but fights between women, she said they set each other's hair on fire. Well, why? Well, because if the enemy has gotten through the father, the husband, she is the last barrier for the destruction of her children. Do you see that picture of that Baltimore woman? There was no man around. Did you all see it? And so she went berserk against her teenage son. Berserk! And all America went, Mother of the Year. It was the most unseemly, ugly thing you could imagine. But America cheered it because, well, we all understood that she didn't have a father. He didn't have a father. There was no husband. And so if that's all that's left, then God bless her for what she did. But where is the father? You know, this is the thing we'll never say about racial reconciliation. There ain't going to be no racial reconciliation until the black man comes home. <laughs> right? I mean, am I allowed to say that? Uh, mm. <laughs> you know, it's like, duh. Daddy, come home. And so what's happening now in white churches and white society is that white fathers have, have completely abandoned their home for pornography. Eh, they still live there. They're still walking stiffs. You know, whitewashed sepulchers, you know. They, 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 they sleep in the same bed as their wife, but she doesn't attract them because they live a fantasy life. And the same thing is true of their wives. Happy Mother's Day. And so what do the mothers do? Well, in time after time, what the mothers do is the mothers become acclimated to the sexual sin of their husband. And so the mother stops accepting, expecting sexual purity from her husband. Then the mother begins to overlook his predatorial behavior towards his children. I can't tell you how many times we deal with this. Twice in this past week, horrible sexual sin. And the mother has now gotten to the point where she tolerates it and where she becomes angry at those that try to protect her children. Happy Mother's Day. Then you have women who finally have their eyes open to the horror, and so they become crusaders against sexual sin. What's wrong with this? Well, what's wrong with it is, how are women going to hold men accountable for their sexual sin? It's going to take a man to deal with a man, right? Any of you women tried to deal with your husband's sexual sins? Real easy, isn't it? I don't see any hands up. I think this is why you guys are moving. <laughs> you won't have to have any sermons like this in four. <laughs>
we think that we have invented. My dad, years ago, 40-some years ago, wrote an article against divorce and remarriage among Christians where it wasn't a biblical divorce, you know. It was just the normal lust, you know. And, uh, oh, man, all hell broke loose against him from conservative Christians. He was so graceless as to attack on biblical divorce, you know. And he wrote a response. Um, but then at the end of it, he said, you know something? He said, you guys today think that you've invented temptation. You think you suffer so much more temptation than my generation. And he said, I'll grant you that it is more accessible. And this was back in like 78, 79, 80. So now you think about how accessible it is today. But he said, you know, the desire to commit adultery and to divorce our wives and husbands has always been there. There's no new sin under the sun, right? Let me read from Augustine's Confession. So this is an autobiography written by St. Augustine back in about the 4th century, 3, 3 to 350 AD, so just a couple centuries after Jesus in, in the Roman Empire. And here's how Augustine describes his youthfulness. He says, for as I grew to manhood, I was inflamed with desire for a surfeit of hell's pleasures. What's surfeit? Surfeit is like when you eat a whole bag of, of chocolate chips. And all of a sudden you have a surfeit of chocolate chips. Okay? For as I grew to manhood, I was inflamed with desire for a surfeit of hell's pleasures. Foolhardy as I was, I ran wild with lust that was manifold and rank. What does rank mean? It smells like a dead body or a male goat. Rank. I cared for nothing but to, be, to love and to be loved. I think it's funny, and I'm smiling, because, of course, that is what we want. We want intimacy. And so we give ourselves to wickedness because we want to be loved, and we want to love. Isn't that interesting? But my love went beyond the affection of one mind for another, beyond the arc of the bright beam of friendship, like a bodily desire, like a morass, you know, like a, like a swamp, like a quicksand, bodily desire, like a morass, an adolescent sex, welling up within me, exuded mists which clouded over and obscured my heart. <laughs> Come on, guys, cop to it. Come on, cop to it. This is exactly you. You, you have your adolescent sex exuding mists. And pretty soon you living in bondage. So that I could not distinguish the clear light of true love from the murk of lust. I love and lust together seethed within me. In my tender youth they swept me away over the precipice of my body's appetites and plunged me in the whirlpool of sin. I was tossed and spilled, floundering in the broiling sea of my fornication. And you said no word. Who is he speaking to when he says you said no word? He's speaking to God. God let him have it. God gave him over. You said no word. How long it was before I learned that you were my true joy. You were silent then. And I went on my way, farther and farther from you, proud in my distress and restless in fatigue, and sowing more and more seeds whose only crop was grief. Was there no one to lull my distress to turn the fleeting beauty of these newfound attractions to good purpose and set up a goal for their charms? In other words, he's saying sexuality is beautiful, love's beautiful, we're made for love. Was there nobody to turn the engine of my lust into the tracks so it's disciplined and it's going to produce what God intends it to produce? To set up a goal for their charms so that the high tide of my youth might have rolled in upon... What? 
the high tide of my youth might have rolled in upon what? Marriage. Marriage. Here's an idea. Marriage. And then he says this, the surge, so you think waves of high tide, you know, the breakers coming in, you know. He says, was there nobody to bring a harness, all that energy towards what it's intended for, which is marriage. And then he says, the surge, so think of the title surge, the surge might have been calmed and contented by, now none of you will have any idea what comes next. The surge might have been calmed and contented by what? The procreation of children. (laughs) You know, you have a a tremendous amount of energy and drive and lust and passion and a need for love and along comes a child and boy, that really does it, doesn't it? All of a sudden, it's not just you and me and, you know, up on the rooftop. Happy together. There's a baby. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes love, then comes marriage, then comes love, then comes no marriage, then comes love, then comes lust, then comes... But it used to be first comes love, then then comes baby in a baby carriage. Okay? And so Augustine's just saying what Scripture says, which is that God makes us to love one another so that our love will be fruitful, just like apple trees. You buy your apple tree and you find out which one will fertilize the other one. Right? The surge might have been calmed and contented by the procreation of children, which is the purpose of marriage as your law prescribes, O Lord. By this means you form the offspring of our fallen nature and with a gentle hand You prone back the thorns that have no place in your paradise. What a perfect description of childbearing. God pruning back your thorns and my thorns. Right? Right? I mean, kids are so very helpful. It's just like every single uh, sore point in our hearts and souls they bring out of us. You know, you can stonewall a lot of things in life, but you can't stonewall your children's sins. You know, they just go right in your heart and you see yourself, right, and your children, right? Am I right? You go, oh, no, (laughs) that's awful, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I resemble that implication, you know. This is so awful. So, again, happy Mother's Day. Mothers, what do you want more than anything else? What you want more than anything else is the safety of your children. And I hate to break it to you men, but that's the only reason they marry you. They don't marry you because they love you. They marry you because they want children. And you're a, a means to an end. And so how do we restore in our society the beauty of motherhood? How do we restore the safety of our children? There's nothing more important than that you have nothing to do with strange flesh. Nothing. 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 You don't lie to yourself and say, well, this is an innocent pleasure. Nobody's watching. The Holy Spirit's watching. He dwells within you. And if your wife has her own sexual temptations, then what do you do? You tell her, that won't happen. You will not do that. Why? Because the Bible says that we are to give ourselves to each other, husband and wife, and that the wife has authority over her husband's body, and that the husband has authority over his wife's body. And so if your wife prefers to be alone than to being with you, you say, no, I won't allow it. 
And if your husband prefers to be alone to being with you, you say, no, I won't allow it. And if he doesn't listen to you, you come to the elders and we will discipline him. And you say, well, what basis will you do that? I don't want to make a stink in my home. And I say, this stink is only going to get worse if you put it off. You find your husband regularly availing himself of pornography and then crying and going and confessing it. And this is the pattern of your marriage. This is adultery. You must not acclimate your children to growing up in a home led by such a man. Do you understand me? If your children have been harmed by other men, other women, and it often happens that it's women that sexually molest children, you go to the elders. And you don't trust yourself. You go to the elders, and you have the elders handle it. That's why we're here. That's why you vow that you will submit to them. It's for cases like incest and sexual abuse. It's adultery. This is why you have elders. Are the elders prepared to help you? Well, Lucas is looking at me smiling right now because he knows the answer is yes and no. <laughs> you know, we do get weary. And we ourselves find ourselves being tempted by the things that you talk to us about. You know, that's why it says when you go and confront somebody, pray lest you yourself be tempted and fall. And so pray for us that we will not give ourselves to pornography, to adultery, to sodomy, to incest, to all these sins that we deal with day after day after day. Pray that God will allow us to, to be pure. Now, I want to end by reading from the Westminster Larger Catechism. It goes through the Ten Commandments, and each commandment, it says, what are the duties that this commandment requires of us, and what are the sins that we must avoid in this area. And it's dealing with the seventh commandment. And this is what it says about the seventh commandment. Um, excuse me, give me a second here. What are the duties required in the seventh commandment? The duties required in the seventh commandment are chastity in body. In other words, you don't go around parading your cleavage if you're a woman. Chastity in body, all right? You don't wear real short skirts, you know? I, I was real smart, and we sent my son to South High School for three years. And then one day, I got a phone call from my wife. She was in a Bible study, and she told me that Taylor, our, our son Taylor had just been, uh, they just found dope in his locker at South High School, and I should get over to the, to the school. So I'm like, <laughs> so I go over to the school, and I knew a vice principal there because one of the people present here this morning had, was living in our home at the time and he had, meant, he had helped me uh, get to know the, <laughs> the vice principal. <laughs> and so I sat down with her and I said, my son just called and said that you found dope in his locker and I'm here to pick him up. And she said, what's your son's name? And I said, Taylor Bailey. And she looked on the, and then she went out and she went, well, I don't know where he is. And I said, well, he just called, and he said that you were going through the lockers, you found open his, and, and she said, well, let me go check. And she comes back in. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't. I said, well, come on. I said, he, you know, you found dope. You've got, you've got to be able to, you know. Said, let me check again. She goes, she said, Mr. Bailey, there is, there, you're saying, there, there's no record of your son, anybody finding any dope. And, and all of a sudden, as she's talking, I've been in there 15, 20 minutes by this time. I'm going, and I'm going, it is April 1st today. <laughs> and I realized that, that Taylor had played a joke on us. And you can imagine steam was coming out of my nose and my ears about this point. And I looked at the vice principal and I said to her, do you know where my son is right now? And she said, yes, I do. She was real cheerful. And I said, would you take me there, please? And she said, I certainly will. And so she walked me downstairs into the cafeteria, the huge cafeteria. At the very center is the soccer team's table. And I walk in and I've known all these guys since 
they were little kids because I went to all Taylor soccer games. And as soon as they all see me at the table, they all take their heads <laughs> and they go down like, and Taylor's like. <laughs> so I walk up to the middle of the table and I say, Taylor, Dad, I was only kidding. I said, Taylor, come with me now. So he gets up, you know, and all the guys are. <laughs> you know. So we walk out the front door of the school, and right outside the front door is a little circular, and it has a curb around the grass. And we sat down on the curb, and as we sat down on the curb, a sea of women's naked bottoms began to parade past me. I just couldn't believe it. The women were naked, and I had sent my son to this school. For three years. Let me tell you, men, if you worship an idol of sports, you will get what you want. You know how that affected my son? You don't want to be chased in body? You want to put your children into the kind of temptation that they're not made to handle? Is that really what you want? Why? So they get good SAT scores, get into an Ivy League school, and they get on the IU soccer team? Chastity in body. Chastity in body. In mind, in affections, in words. So not just chastity and body, but the way we think, the way we speak, the things we like. And then it says, and behavior. What is chastity and behavior? Well, I can tell you one thing. When a woman presents butch, that is unchaste behavior. Because it is not her living out her sexuality. When a man presents effeminately, that is unchaste behavior. That's what's wrong with Scott Sauls and with Tim Keller and all these guys that want us to make the distinction between being gay in your presentation and affections and being gay in bed. And they say Christians can't be gay in bed, but they can be gay in every other way. So I say, no, that is unchaste chaste behavior. A man who cultivates a feminine presentation is unchaste. It's a violation of the seventh commandment. Do you understand this? And you say no, and I say, well, it's because you don't even know the word chaste. Being chaste is living in the calling that God gave you when he marked your body with sexual parts. Being chaste is living your sexual parts. Living womanly and living manly. You say, well, are you trying to stereotype me? No, because the stereotype is unjustified, but your body parts are just hardwired. <laughs> and so you're supposed to cultivate behavior, words, appearances. Everything is supposed to live out beautifully your sexuality. Okay? And the preservation of chastity in ourselves and others, watchfulness over the eyes and all the senses, temperance, keeping of chaste company, modesty in apparel, marriage by those that have not the gift of continency. Do you know what continency is? It's the ability of living single without masturbating. Right? Have you ever heard that word before that I just said? I won't say it again, but you ever heard that word? You know what it is, right? Continency is when you can be single without giving in to your lusts. If you can't live single without giving in to your lusts, you have an obligation from the seventh commandment to get married. It's better to marry than to burn. This is Holy Scripture that says that. 
marriage by those that have not the gift of continency, conjugal love and cohabitation. In other words, once you get married, you may not withdraw from your wife, and you may not sleep in separate bedrooms, even if he does snore. And you may not own a king-size bed. And My wife and I tried it when we moved into our new home, you know. Mike said, well, you have a large custom home. And we thought, well, we better get a large custom bed. So we went out and bought a king-size bed, and I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't stand it. I want to feel my wife. I want to hit her when I roll over at night. I mean, not, not hit. Why do you, what, what are you laughing at, Helen? <laughs> You know, don't you want to feel your spouse? Cohabitation. Diligent labor in our calling, shunning of all occasions of uncleanness and resisting temptations thereunto. And then it always says, what are the sins forbidden by the commandment? What are the sins forbidden in the seventh commandment? The sins forbidden in the seventh commandment, besides the neglect of the duties required, are adultery, fornication, rape, incest, sodomy, and all unnatural lusts. And there's something how we never refer to perversions and unnatural lusts anymore. All unclean imaginations, thought, purposes, and affections, all corrupt or filthy communications, or listening thereunto. Wanton looks. <laughs> so what's a wanton look, uh, David Canfield? A look of, of lustful desire. Wanton looks, Okay. Impudent or light behavior, in other words, treating sexuality as a light thing. It ain't a light thing. Sexuality is a heavy, 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 heavy thing. Immodest apparel. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Listen, I, when, we have, when we have people come in this church who are immodest, don't start with that. Wait until they've been here a couple years and there's a Mother's Day sermon, okay? Because to live today is to live in immodest apparel. But those of you who belong to Jesus Christ, study this, think about it. Prohibiting of lawful and dispensing with unlawful marriages. So another way you violate the seventh commandment is, as a father, you're more concerned about your daughter being a doctor than you are about her sexual purity. And so... One of the things we do here is we tell Christian fathers they have no right to say no to their daughter marrying a Christian man. That that's a violation of the seventh commandment. And so you remember a couple years ago, our, one of our elders, in behalf of the elders, walked the bride up the aisle. She had a PCA father, and he refused to allow her to marry. And so the elders said, we do, when it said, who gives this woman to be married to this man? The elders said, we do. Okay? And this has always been an understanding of Protestants that, that, that you may not refuse to allow your daughter to marry or your son. Allowing, tolerating, and keeping of stews. Now, have you ever read the larger catechism so that you know this term, S-T-E-W-S? Any of you run into this? So you're not allowed to keep stews. The seventh commandment prohibits keeping of stews. So, so what are stews, right? It's not talking about lamb or beef or, you know, potatoes and carrots and onions. What it's talking about is that it used to be that the places of prostitution were where men would go into a bathhouse and they would stew in the hot water and the steam. <laughs> and so today it would be massage parlors or other places of prostitution. So you can't own them, you can't keep them, you can't frequent them. And isn't this sweet that the Westminster Catechism says, no massage parlors? And we go, well, that's helpful, right? We don't think we're above that, right? Whoa, that's so embarrassing. Why would you put that into the Westminster Larger Catechism? Well, because it's helpful. All right. And resorting to them. And then it says, entangling vows of single life. <laughs> I love this one. You know, like Jim Elliott, you know? 
All these super spiritual men that say, I will never give you up, Jesus. I will be single my whole life. I'll devote myself to the church and to evangelism. I'll be so spiritual. And meanwhile, they're looking at pornography and doing you know what. But they've taken a vow and, oh, they're so self-righteous in their vow and their commitment to Jesus Christ. And meanwhile, they're looking at pornography and doing you know what. That's called an entangling vow. That's a vow that is at odds with the clear command of Scripture. And so that's a violation of the seventh command. Undue delay of marriage. <laughs> In other words, you, you, you say, well, you know, I don't want to get married until my father returns from the mission field at, for home assignment. And so you fornicate until he gets back. Or I, my, I have to graduate, you know, from college before I get married. No, you don't. It's better to marry than to burn. Having more wives or husbands than one at the same time. Well, you remember how I said earlier, pretty soon they're going to say it's okay to lower the age of accountability, right? Well, you all know that the minute television starts having shows about Mormon wives, that's what's coming. It's going to be legal in America soon to have multiple wives and theoretically multiple husbands, although that hasn't gone down real well in culture usually. Unjust divorce or desertion. And then it says this. What's a violation of the seventh commandment? It says idleness. <laughs> idleness. I was coming down uh, College Avenue off of 37 one morning about 15, 17 years ago. And they were interviewing a police officer. And the police officer was saying that a huge part of crime is opportunity. And then he talked about how idleness creates crime. Isn't it wonderful to have a job that doesn't give you time to do anything other than work your buns off and then go to sleep? Work is such a blessing. Idleness creates adultery and homosexuality and narcissism sexually. You know, you're sitting there and you have time on your, what? You have time on your hands. And so what do you do? Idle hands are a devil's what? Listen, work, man, work. If you don't want to look at pornography, work. Get another job. Tell your wife it's better for you to be out working at night than for you to be tempted by your computer. Work. Work, work. Idleness, gluttony, drunkenness, unchaste company, and then this, lascivious. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody explain to our... Lascivious is... Um, really sexual. Lascivious is like raw sexual. Okay, raw. I don't know. How do you explain that? What would you say, Brian? So he says when the Supreme Court used to be against pornography, the standard was that when the sexual expression was lascivious, an appeal to the purient interest. Well, that's real helpful to the Chinese students. <laughs> okay, now, can we have a Chinese student define purient for us, please? The baser instincts down there, the groinal area. It's just pure lust, okay? And it says lascivious songs, books, pictures, dancing, stage plays. So how many of the movies you watch are not lascivious? Listen, I hate to break it to you women, but Sleepless in Seattle, it's just women. It's not men, and so it seems okay, right? But don't all of you, is that the right movie? Is it Sleepless in Seattle or there's... Yeah, 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 it's While You Were Sleeping, that's the one, huh? You love it, right? 
Oh, yeah, you do like sleepless in Seattle, yeah. Okay. And so finally, 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5, the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, either by, except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Happy Mother's Day. So sex for marriage, if you can't be pure, get married. And when you get married, sleep in the same bed and you as the husband take the initiative. I want to know whether a man's giving himself to pornography. All I have to do is ask his wife whether he takes the initiative. And if he's using pornography, he doesn't take the initiative. I ask all the time, and so do the other pastors, how often do you have sex when a couple is getting counseled? So how often are you making love? Happy Mother's Day. People, we need to take away the culture's ownership of sex and bring it back into marriage, into male and female, into the church, and begin to rule it, govern it, repent about it, and be free. (laughs) Be free and have your children safe. Happy Mother's Day. Okay? All right. I'll stop. And also, it would be very nice for all the pastors and their wives to have a few less of these things to deal with. Right, love? She's back in the back room back there. Say a big yes. Yes. Um, Jody, where are you? Could we instead do the first song? Again, uh, the... the uh, no, um... The next one. Yeah. Yeah. Would, could we do that? Let's stand and, and sing in the fullness of time. Because what God says about sexual impurity and our sin is that he will take what is red as crimson and make it as white as snow. And so you can repent of your sexual sin and be pure before God. Jesus Christ is our righteousness.